0: This morning is March 17th. It's 2019. I just wanted to tell you, after seeing LCM begin with a few empty folding chairs and a couple empty lives that were being filled with the presence of God, this morning sure felt victorious. It's good to see the way that you love the Lord here. It is good to see the victory that is ours in Christ. We don't have to sell out. We don't have to back up. We don't have to let up. We don't have to shut up. We don't have to do things the way the carnal circus is doing it outside. We can go after the Lord in purity and look around you. It works. As most of you know, we've just returned from the beautiful land. That's God's nation. The one people on the planet that He picked for Himself. That's the nation of Israel. Hours after our group left the Temple Mount, a Palestinian attacked a soldier with a Molotov cocktail, and the Temple Mount was closed. The day after leaving the Golan Heights, there was a Syrian incursion that provoked a military response. The day after leaving the city of Eilat, the city was closed to all traffic in or out because of a regional dispute. And in our very last evening in Tel Aviv... Nine rockets were fired from Gaza in an unprovoked attack that triggered citywide alarms.
1: Needless to say, we are happy to be here with you today. And we have a message of joyful kingdom warfare. Yeah. But before we get into that, I want to take a minute to point out something that shouldn't be missed. In the midst of all this activity, the one association is growing in unity. You say amen to that. Amen.
2: Come on, church. I've been with you. We haven't been sitting on our salvation. No. One, no. well, I want to remind you of seven points of victory that we're seeing happen as unity is growing. The Stevens and the Treesters were with the arising pastors, Pastor Nick Slaughter and Pastor Nick Massey, and their wives in Israel. Pastor Eric Treester of New Life Church was serving the body of the Remnant Church in Denton. Amen. Pastor Zeke Lamb of Submission Ministries was serving the body of the arising church. Amen. Elder Mark Morrison of the Arising Church was visiting the Vincents, One Light Ministries in Indonesia. Wow! From LCM, the Hewitts and Thomases were serving the body of New Life. There we go. Larissa and Megan were visiting the body of Submission Ministries. Future Mrs. Linton. (laughs) The Law Huns are visiting New Life today. Amen. Can you feel the oil of Aaron's beard? It's dripping. The Lord our God is pleased with the powerful unity that we are building here in this place. Amen. And it's growing. It's all across the world, all across the nation. Dreams that we didn't think could happen when we were sitting in a living room, then a garage, and watching how the unity of the Spirit is growing is a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. Hey, how about the messages preached over the last few weeks? Man, say amen to that. Yeah, amen. So anointed, so powerful. In the message, guard it, Shemar in action. The pastor showed us the importance of guarding what the Lord has given us. Yeah. Man, isn't it important to guard what God has given you? Yeah. Amen. See, like Abraham, guarding what he has given makes the promise come about. Guarding, protecting is an offensive action. Mm-hmm. An amazing message preached by our pastors.
0: Come on, give the pastors a hand.
1: Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah.
0: In the message, treasure it which we were listening to in Tel Aviv when the citywide alarms were going off. <laughs> we got to hear Nick Aragina bringing the house down. We also saw Assad, the angelic assassinator of shame, oh, yeah. preaching his heart out. Come on now. Did that man light it up? Yeah. You know, we found out an amazing truth. Those
2: two gentlemen that we all love very dearly shared some beautiful things with us. They taught us that our father has treasure in store for you, not just in a general sense, but for every man, woman and child in this room, there are good yeah. things that are in store for treasure. you. He also they also reminded us that we can live up to our father's treasure, that it really can come about, yeah. that we have the ability to do what God has called us to do on this earth, just like Abraham raising his family. You yourself, you can also be God's treasured possession, that the lives that we live can be precious
0: in his sight. I hope you hear the hope in that message. Yes. Some of you in here today are on fire for the Lord. Others of you are hoping that you can become on fire for the Lord. During our powerful worship time, I could feel the enemy's lies attacking some of you. That it was too late. That you're too far gone. That it's too destroyed. That is not true. No. There was a practical takeaway from these anointed sermons. That what we have is precious and it's worth fighting for. Amen. Is it worth fighting for, saints? Yeah. Today we have a message entitled, Go Get Them. Yeah.
1: Wow. We're going to begin in Genesis 13. Turn to the 10th verse, and when you get there, say, Go Get Them. Go Get Them. Go get them. Everybody ready to go get Them? Yeah. Get them. Verse 10 says, Lot looked up. He did what? He looked up. He looked up. And he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. Like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, Lot looked up. And he looked up at a land that was well watered. If he had only known what he was about to go into. Man, that would have changed things, wouldn't it? But instead, he looked up. And in verse 11, it says, he chose for himself. Everybody say chose for himself. Chose Chose for for himself. himself. He chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Man, that ought to tell you something in and of itself. Everything that goes wrong goes where? East. East. (laughs) And the two men parted company. Mm. Man, Lot chose for himself. He didn't wait to hear from God. He didn't wait to get a promise from the Lord so he can guard it. Instead, he chose for himself. And then it caused him to part company. Let's just establish as a rule of thumb that anything that causes you to part company with the saints around you is not from God. Amen. We are not supposed to choose for ourselves. We're supposed to pray and ask the Lord, what do we do? And we are never, ever supposed to part company with the men that God has placed us with.
2: While Lot was choosing for himself what he wanted, something different was happening for Abraham. Take a look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. See, there was a specific promise to a specific people, to a specific place. This promise of God was born of heaven, not chosen for himself it was ordained by the heavenly father.
0: We can be instructed by these two men because they both made choices, but there was a dramatically different outcome based on their choices. How many of you are sitting in a choice that you wish you hadn't made? Yeah. Yeah, we will learn today not just the consequence of those choices, but how to correct it. Amen. How to fight for it. Amen. How to go get them. Amen. Lot made his own choices. They were based on what he thought was best. Man, was he wrong. Abraham depended on the Lord
2: and became an example for all who served him. He became the kind of rock, a faithful father, a foundation for all of the righteous generations that would come after him
0: to this day. Mm. The result of Lot's selfish ambition put him in the middle of the Bible's very first geopolitical situation, Somebody say, Houston, we got a problem?
2: Houston, we got a problem.
0: You know, when the news was not obsessed with an orange-skinned president with funny hair, they used to actually (laughs) report on geopolitical problems. They would let you know when one people group was attacking another people group. The very first time in the Bible that we have a war between two kingdoms clearly enumerated. I don't mean in some spiritual sense of light and darkness. I mean kings. Going to war with kings is in Genesis 14. Turn the page in your Bible and find it there. Now when you look at the first 11 verses of Genesis 14, there are so many names of kings that it's easy to get lost. So we did something for you. We put them on a slide like PowerPoint cures everything. Let's bring that up here. To summarize those first 11 verses for you, the four kings on the left side of your screen, they're Semite kings. They descend from Shem. On the right side, you have Hamite kings. Guys like King of Sodom, King of Gomorrah, the King of Adama, uh, and my personal favorite, She-member, King of Zoboam. (laughs) I met a She-member the other day at Starbucks. I've been shaken by that very experience. To summarize those first 11 verses, understand that Lot has settled in the wrong group. He is living among Hamite peoples. He did that because he chose for himself based on what his eyes saw. What a monumentally bad choice. That whole area is still sinking into the earth today and is the lowest place on the planet Today, you literally have to descend mountains and go down into a valley and descend 1,400 feet below sea level just to get in the place of Lot's bad choice. The Semites were out fighting and they had occupied and had these Hamites as vassals. So think four kings against five. But the four kings were winning. And they went out and they took on even giants in the land. A group of people called the Rephaites, And the Rephaites in Hebrew are like those with dead spirits inside of them. In other words, they were fighting wickedness on the earth. Yeah. Well, the Hamite kings on the right side of your screen took advantage of that opportunity. They went, wow, these Semites are engaged in some pretty big battles, so let's let's rebel now. And the four Semites came and strapped it on them. I mean, they, they really got them. But we come to the point... In Genesis 14 and verse 11, slide your finger there and say, "Go get them when you're there." Go get." Them. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. When they went away, they also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot and his possessions. Whew. Whose nephew is this? Abrams They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom.
2: My, my. I think that was a more de- dangerous decision than killing John Wick's dog. Yeah, you, you better believe it. They're about to find out that when a guarded, treasured relative is taken captive, there was only one response from the faithful father. Go get him. Somebody
0: say, go get him.
1: Go get him. You know, I bet a casual reading on Wikipedia will show That the directors of Taken, John Wick, and the Born Identity borrowed their stories from Genesis 14. Yeah. You see, like Liam Neeson in Taken, Abraham has a very certain set of skills that are about to be put on display. Do you know how we know for sure
0: that they borrowed from Genesis 14? Because every director in Hollywood is a Jew. (laughs) Hey, let's pick up in Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard... That his relative had been taken captive. He called out the 318 trained men born in his household. Do we have any men born in this household? Do we
1: have any men in
0: training for war in here today? Man, when you find out somebody you love has taken captive. He went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear these names in the Bible, when you hear these places in the Bible, it's difficult to kind of get a grasp of what that is. It'd be a little bit like somebody picked a fight with one of your relatives that was not doing particularly well. And you had a choice to sit back and go, well, he's kind of suffering from his own choices. A lot of religious people do that. That's my temptation to do sometimes. But that's not what Father Abraham did. At nearly a hundred years old, he sets out on foot from here to Denton, Texas to go get... That relative that was captured, somebody said, go get him. Go get him. I want to give you an idea on a map what that looks like. If you were going to drive from the area that Abraham was, straight up the Dead Sea into the Jordan Valley Rift, crossing through the mountains, coming into the area where Herman is and beyond, it would take four hours and 12 minutes with no traffic. Nobody shooting rockets from Gaza. If you were going to walk that, at at the fastest possible pace, it's more than three days. This is some of the most rugged terrain on the planet earth. But Abraham, he went out to go get him. There's a reason for that. Abraham had a promise from God. And those who have received a promise from God are always able to rescue those without a promise. Do you have a promise in the house of God? If you know that heaven is backing you, then earthly resistance is no real problem. Men with a promise ought to go get those that don't have a promise. See, Abraham can be bold because his God is with him. He can be generous because his God is with him. When a man has a promise, he doesn't have to be stingy. He doesn't have to be scared. He doesn't have to sit back and cross his arms because of insecurity and fear. He can go get them. A man with a promise is motivated by that promise, believing that everywhere he sets his foot, God will give it to him. Come on now.
2: They didn't walk out to Damascus to fight. He beat them back as far as Damascus. This wasn't a three day journey to start the fight. This was a three day journey while fighting. Say that's a long fight. That's That's a long fight. fight. Abraham was not going to stop until he had gone to get him. You understand here this man had to have some determination. He had to have something that was fierce about him. Abraham was old at this place. And yet for three continuous days, fighting, pursuing, and pressing them back, he went after them. This is not a journey of three days to reach a fight and then start it. This was three days that is the difference between life and death and he is beating them the whole way. You understand? The father of the faithful was a man. A man empowered
0: by a promise. I got to show you. We stumbled onto a place in Banyas, Israel. I want to put the picture on the screen so you can experience it with us. These are the city gates of Tel Dan. They're still there. These date back to before 2000 B.C. Father Abraham came all the way down from where the Dead Sea is. He went north like he was going all the way to Denton, Texas from here. And he came to a fortified city. A city with gates. And you know what? He faced what was behind those gates, and he won. And he not only beat them in their city, he beat them north all the way through Damascus, up into what is now Lebanon. He didn't back up. He went to go get them. Are you going to go get them, saints? Something else happens that's really important to this. When you set out to go get those who have been trapped when you set out to take on the gates of your enemy, when you go get them on your way home from victory, you meet someone. Amen. The last part of Genesis 14, Abraham meets Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. There is something that is so pleasing about going to get them that on your way back home,
1: the king of righteousness comes out, to meet you. Come on. See, that reminds me of Philemon 6. Say, go get him when you get there. Go get him. Go get them. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Abraham shared a little bit of his faith along the way, didn't he? So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You see, after Abra- Abraham's pursuit... He had a fuller understanding of who the King of Righteousness was. I want to ask you something. Do you sit and ask for more revelation? Or do you go out and get it? Man, something happens to men who go into pursuit... When you go into pursuit, you are like a warrior. You are going to overcome and take the gates of the enemies. What does the king of kings do to men who go out in pursuit? He gives them new weapons. He gives them new revelation. He gives them new tools to fight with. We can't sit back and expect revelation to come and do nothing with it. We can't sit and wait. We can't sit and ask, Lord, I want more. I want more revelation. I want more revelation unless we are willing to go and get it. Come on. So what are we going to do, church? We are going to go get it. We are going to go get it. And along the way, along the way there, God's going to give us more revelation. And on the way back, He's going to show us who the King of righteousness is. Let me tell you what is at stake at
0: the end of Genesis 14 before we move on in this message. Not only does he see the king of righteousness, it's in the presence of the king of Sodom. See, we have that choice all of the time. You have in front of you the sensuality of Sodom and you have the goods of Gomorrah. And somewhere deep down inside of you, you got to say, no, I want the king of righteousness. Somewhere down inside of you, you got to make a choice that's better than lots. Somewhere deep down inside of you, you got to fight. To set people free. You'll never do that if you're not free yourself. But the man who has been gotten by heaven, you know what he does? He goes and gets them. And he sees more of Jesus because of it. He's filled with Jesus because of it. Because he's putting into action that which has taken hold of him for action. Are you going to go get them? Yes!
2: We have that choice between the king of righteousness and the king of Sodom before us all of the time. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6. We're gonna pick up in the 14th verse. Say,
0: go get them when you're there. Go get, go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Oh, come on. I want to hear from you today. Do we need to go sit on the back row? You back there with us, Marlon? Go get them. You you awake back there, Tisdale, or are you just sitting pretty pity with that new haircut? Are y'all awake? Yeah. What are we gonna do, church? Go
2: get them. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What is the obvious response? Not a thing. Say nothing with me. Nothing. We're going to get 100% 100 responses on this passage. Righteousness and wickedness have nothing to do with each other. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Nothing at all. They are at war. We're at war between these two things. We're going to go get what God has called us to. We're going to go get the lost. Go get the captives. We have nothing to do with Sodom. We cannot take anything of his. For we are the temple of the living God. Mm. As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. There is a specific place, a specific plan, a specific people. And we have been included in it. Amen. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Say, go get them. Go get them. Go get them, but accept none of the sinful sexuality of Sodom. Yeah. Go get them, but accept none of the godless goods of Gomorrah. Go get them, but accept none of Lot's lawless, lavish luxury. It will lure you away. Mm -mm. We're going to choose the king of righteousness
0: today. Amen. How about you, Assad? Are you going to choose the king? Assad, the angelic assassinator of shame. Are you going to go get him? That's a man right there. How about you, Cody? Are you going to go get him? Where you at, Steve? You going to go get him? Yeah. Listen, we can't sit on our salvation, growing our blessed assurance in your comfortable padded chairs. The king of the universe called you for a reason. Amen. We got to go get him. Lot was rescued in chapter 14. He was in Sodom again in chapter 19. needed to be rescued again. Lot was the world champion of foul-ups. But the New Testament still says he was righteous. And God rescued that righteous man while holding the wicked accountable. It's easy to give up on people. It's easy to count them out. But listen to me. Don't you gloat over me, my enemy. For... The Lord is able to make this light again. I will rise. Somebody say, i go get them.
1: Raise your hand if you're going to go get them. Now let me ask you a question. How are you going to go get them? Turn with me to Leviticus 26. Amen. We're going to see our game plan unfold before us out of the law of God. Leviticus 26 verse 3. Say, go get them when you're there. Go, go get them. Verse 3 says, if, everybody say if, if, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, that word careful, can you guess what it is? It's shamar. Yeah. If you guard the decrees of God, if you treasure the commands of God, then all of the following will happen in your life. That's where we have to start church. We have to start with the word and we have to start with the promises that God has given us. Has the Lord spoken to you something in this church? Has God given you a promise? Has God given you a vision in this church? Then you must guard it. You must treasure it. If you do that, verse 4 says that God will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest. And the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. Man, that's pretty descriptive of Abraham's life, isn't it? Yeah. Sounded like he was a man that guarded and treasured the promise yeah. given to him. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't it been prophesied that this year will be a fruitful year? Amen. Yeah. We got babies everywhere. Yeah. Man, it has been given to us that this year we will be fruitful. But it will not come to fruition unless we guard that promise. Amen. It will not come to fruition unless we learn to guard the word of God. Amen. You will not gain what was promised by doing nothing. Guarding is an offensive offensive action. Amen. Guarding is an action that causes you to do something with what you've been given. Amen. Verse 6 says, I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. Oh man, how does that feel? No one will make you afraid. You're walking around with fear today. You need to start guarding the word of God like you treasure it. You need to start treating the word of God like it is a diamond given to you. And instead of throwing it on the back seat of your car and pretending like it's a trinket given from heaven. He will not make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land and the sword will not pass from your country. Man, who wants the sword removed from your country? You tired of getting cut up from your own sin? You tired of getting cut up from the decisions of choosing things for yourself? says you will pursue your enemies in verse 7, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Man, that is exponential pursuing, isn't it, church? Yeah, that's going to get them. You see, pursuing starts with guarding what you have. Those two things are linked. It's like if you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. And if you obey his commands, you will love Jesus. If you guard the word given to you, if you guard the word of God in your life, then you will pursue God's enemies on every front where you find them. Tell you what, how, how, how many of us can sit and listen to so much truth, so much things that are not true about the word of God and do nothing about it. Man, when you love the Word of God, you can't allow the Word of God to be thrown into the mud so that people can trample over it. When you love the Word of God, you stand up for it and you go and pursue and fight for it. If you love the Lord with all your heart, how could you not pursue what He has given you? You must fight it. Love for the Word of God makes you pursue And not just any pursuit. God will bless your pursuit and empower it. This is not just a pursuit in your own strength. God will enable you through the Holy Spirit. And He will empower you to go further than you ever could. You see, Lot did not have anything to guard. He chose what was best for himself. And this promise doesn't end here. Look at verse 9. You there with me? Yeah. Verse 9 says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. Mm. Man, he will increase your numbers. If five of you can chase a thousand, what will it be like when he increases our numbers? Mm. I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Man, you know what this is? This is God, the OG go-getter. He will make you go get what you can get. Amen. Man, if you are guarding, God will be with you. The one who... Went and got will make you go get. Amen. You see, in verse 13 it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you will no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk through with heads held high. Come on church, say heads held high. Heads heads held held high. You see, Israel... Israel was a nation that learned to go get them because they had been got by God. Oh, Amen. God broke them out of Egypt. He broke them out of those gates of iron and he got them out. So they learned to go get. What are we going to do, church? We're going to go get them. them.
2: Did the king of kings liberate you? Did he go get you? Somebody raise a hand in the room if he has come to get you. Let's take a look at what the patriarchs believed we were supposed to do with that. Genesis 24, verse 59. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca. Bless her. How did they bless her? It wasn't with the godless gifts of Gomorrah. It wasn't with trinkets. It wasn't with a prayer. They blessed her with something very specific because they believed that it was what was supposed to come from families that had been liberated from slavery. And they said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring po- possess the gates of their enemies. Come on now. Are there some righteous men and the women in the room who are raising children? Yeah. Our job is to bless them. It's to train them. It's to teach them to go get them. Because Christ bought you. Because your life has been turned around. We are raising up a generation of go-getters. Men who are not pursuing worldly traits. Who are not... Pursuing their secular careers, but know how to go get them for the king of kings. Who are seeking souls, who are seeking lives, who want to make disciples and turn them around. They blessed her and said, may you increase by thousands upon thousands. So that they would possess the gates of their enemies. Do you want your children to possess the gates of their enemies? Then we got to go get them.
0: See, God didn't choose Israel because they were more numerous or better than other people. In fact, he specifically points to the rather pathetic beginning. And he said that I chose you to display my holiness through you. See, having been gotten by God, you want to go get them for God. Are you understanding that? That is the heart of Abraham. He didn't sit back and make an excuse that says, Well, because Lot is really needing to lie in his own mess. He, he, he made his bed. He can sleep in it. Instead... He looked at what Lot needed, not what he deserved. And he went to go get him. We see that happen with the patriarchs on down. As Judah has just said, the prophecies over their children was they will possess the gates of their enemies. They will go after their enemies and they will get the ones that God wants. This is not just true of Israel. In fact, in Isaiah 45... Beginning in verse 2, God is speaking about Cyrus, a Gentile king. And he says, I will go before you and will level the mountains. Listen, that's not just poetic speech. We serve a God that will level mountains. What obstacle can he not handle in your life? The one obstacle that he has a hard time overcoming is our apathy. Our inability to get moving for him. Our general lack of regard for His actual sovereignty. Where we say with our lips, He's our Lord, but our feet don't do what He says to do. The sun obeys Him and comes up at the same time every day. The moon obeys Him and it revolves around the earth. Even the birds obey Him. And man in all of his audacity has the gall to say, I'll pray about it. We're preaching to you because we want to cultivate in you something of the rock of Abraham that says, I want to go get them. God says to Cyrus, I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. It kind of sounds like God is saying it doesn't matter how big the gates are. It doesn't matter how strong the bars are. I want to rescue people. Where is your heart, saints? Are we more worried about what a cup of coffee costs us at Starbucks? Or more worried about what sin is costing some man's soul? If you've been rescued, how could you not want to rescue? How could you not live every day to rescue? I'm thinking of a particular judge that had all kind of problems. I mean... I don't know whether he's the worst man in the Bible or the best man in the Bible. Just like on any given day, I don't know where to put myself. But on this day, on this good day, in Judges 16, we see something amazing. This will be verse 3. Are you all alive today? Yeah. i got to be really honest with you. Is it okay if I'm honest with you even when I'm gone for a while and come back? If you don't like it, I won't be here Wednesday anyway. You can take it out on Wade and Matthew. I got to be completely honest with you. You ready for some hard truth? Yeah. These brothers are preaching a lot better than you're listening. Gabriel Arias, I want to hear something out of you today. Can you? What, what should you say today, Gabriel? What one phrase are we trying to get you to say today? That's right, brother. Unfurrow that brow, stretch out your spiritual muscles, and go get them. God called you to be an evangelist. Go get them. Pick. A pair, of team, pick some people to be in unity with and go get them. We can't just sit back. Samson had his problems. You got problems? Samson had his problems, but he was also anointed of the Spirit of God. And look at this in verse 3. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Oh man, how glad are you he didn't sleep through the alarm. How glad are you that though he was down, he wasn't all the way out. I bet the enemy was gloating, waiting. But he didn't last the whole night there down in a prone position. Yeah. In fact, he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and he tore them loose. Yeah. Somebody in here got to get torn loose.
2: Yeah.
0: What is it that is binding you? What is it that's holding you back? The Spirit of God can come on you and you can tear it loose. Yeah. The city gates are the opposition of the enemy. It is his place of power, his place of government. But when the Spirit of God comes on a man, he can tear it loose, bars and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill to face Hebron. We don't just tear loose the gates of the enemy. We don't just rescue people. When we tear them loose, we can carry them to a hill overlooking Hebron. Do you know what Hebron was? It was the burial place of Father Abraham. That rock, that first man who told us how to take the gates of the enemy and rescue the lost. He put the enemy's gates on a hill right next to Father Abraham. Because you got two choices in this world. And they're feet apart. But you end up worlds apart. You can go get them, or you can sit back in apathy. That might just be the distance from you to them, but the results are world
1: apart. What are you going to do, Church? Go get them. Another man that knew failure was Joshua. Turn with me to Joshua 10 verse 17. Go get them. See, Joshua was a man that knew what it was like to have victory to obey what the Lord told him to, and do it, to go and get it, and have success. And he also knew what it was like to have success, puff him up with pride, and then go and do something the Lord told him to not do. He was a man who knew failure, and he was a connected to the rock that was Abraham. In verse 17, it says, when Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Machida, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. You see, he planted a rock there. He planted a rock. Just like Jesus, he planted a rock so that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Come on, He was attached to the rock and therefore he planted that rock right there so that the kings would not come out. Verse 19. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear. don't Don't stop. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. You see, because we stand on that rock like israel stands on the rock we cannot stop we cannot stop until our enemies are done you see the problem is most of the time we don't see success we don't see victory is because we stop yeah we come to a place where we so where we go you know what That victory felt good yesterday. I think I'm going to cruise through this next week, and I'm just going to slide a little bit. I'm just going to miss a a Monday night Bible study here. I'm just going to not fellowship with my brothers like I know I need to. And then you're going to look up, and you're going to see that the kings have left that cave that you were supposed to be planting a rock in front of. You see, you can't stop, church. What did Pastor Wade say? you got to do it again. Man, when you roll a rock, and you close the enemies in, you got to go all the way. you got to you got to go all the way. you got to put those kings down so that the people with you can come put their feet on the neck of the enemies. You have to have victory so that the people around you can have victory. It's not enough just to have a one-day battle, is it? No. No, we can't stop. What are we going to do, church? We are going to go get it.
2: Come on now. We cannot stagnate in Sodom. We can't sit on our salvation in this room. We need to know what we're cut from. What are you made of? What faith are you of? You need to know what is in you. We're going to go get them. Turn to Isaiah 51 with me. And we're going to learn more about what we are made of. What is ingrained inside of your soul. Look at the first verse. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness. Is someone in this room pursuing righteousness this morning? And who seek the Lord. Are you seeking his face? Those of you who are pursuing righteousness. And seeking the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut. And to the quarry from which you were hewn. Abraham is a rock that displays the kingdom of God on earth, and something of that very soul—a rock that is like the Christ, that is immovable, unbreakable, cannot be chipped away at—is in our souls. We have the opportunity to install that inside of us, to choose to take on His attitude, His way of life, and to go get Him, or to slide back into Lot's ways. They were relatives; they lived close. And yet there were two very distinct outcomes for their life. Where are you at this morning? Are you near the relatives of God and yet you're sitting with Sodom? Are you that righteous rock in the house of God that is immovable in the ways of the Lord? That will not yield your joy for anything. That will not be disheartened. That will not slide into sin. Are you being seduced? Are you in Sodom or are you in the house of the righteous? They're closer than you would think. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. Amen. When I called him, he was but one, and I blessed him and made him many. The reality is that when we pursue righteousness, he multiplies our efforts. That he'll take what you have now and make it into more. Amen. The Browns have a beautiful baby with an almost perfect name in the room. Brother, they're just reading from right to left. Oh, they got it, the Hebrew version. That's Hebrew version. God is multiplying the righteous efforts in this room. He's taking faithfulness that has been demonstrated and he will magnify it when we raise up our children to go get them. But if we choose that we've gone far enough, that I had enough time along Abraham, it's time for me to go to the plain of Shinar. It's time for me to go out into the grassy field and hang out in Sodom for a little while. Though you may have some righteousness left in your soul, you'll end up vexed. And at best, escaping through the flames, if not burned entirely. Yeah. How do you want to die? Do you want to live going to go get them? Yes.
0: Then let's go get them. Lot stopped in Sodom. Abraham didn't stop even when he defeated Dan. He went all the way into Lebanon. In fact, at 175 years old, the man was still bearing fruit at the end of his life. He never stopped. Let, let's just get real about something. Everybody in this room is here because you started. But the problem is many of you stop more than you start. Yeah. You know what is right. You get excited about it. You talk about it for a little while. then after two weeks, your stamina has stopped. Somewhere in there, you forget the way in which God got you. Yeah. And the need for you to go get others. The secret to the kingdom is to start more than you stop. Maybe maybe you know what is right, but you just can't seem to maintain it. We'll get very serious about restarting every time you stop and doing it right away with no lag time in between. Then your stutter will turn into a stampede. Amen. Something will happen. See, I know you and you know me. We love each other. Sometimes I hurt your feelings. Sometimes you hurt mine. That's just how this is going to work. But the whole point here is that we join together to advance the kingdom of God on earth. That's the point. Not just the kingdom in your life. Not just blessings for you. Blessings for the rest of the world. Do you want that? We got to go get them. Let's look at Proverbs 24 because there is a serious, serious statement in Proverbs 24. Yeah, there we go. go Some up. of you starting to wake up. Some Come of you on, are Mr. starting Steve more than you're after. stopping. Man, they're getting it. Jess wore her high boots today. Her Nancy Sinatra going to walk all over you. They don't know what that is. That's true. That's true. All right. Are you in Proverbs 24? Yeah, go get them. You need to be slapped around a little to be woken up or are you ready to be encouraged? I got a mixed review, so I'm going to give you a mixed answer. Here's Proverbs 24.10. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Hey man, put that shirt on and try it out for size. If you were faltering during times of trouble, then the Bible says you are weak. Is that what you want to fight to be? No. Weak? No. 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 We serve a God who will turn your weaknesses into strength. Yeah. But it's going to require you to go after things. It's going to require you to go get them. Yeah. Verse 11. Rescue those being led away to death. Man, that's in the Pashat. They're dying and going to hell all around us. Hold back those st- staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Come on. Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? You know another way you might look at that verse? You might say he will repay you for what you didn't
1: do. You didn't go get him. What are we going to do, church? Go get him. Go get him. You know, in Israel we were reading this verse... When we went to Yad Vashem, many of you will get the opportunity to go with us to Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is the Holocaust Memorial in Israel, and there you go through a a you go through a building that that is a display of the entire Holocaust, so that you can go through and see everything that happened. So you can go and see the hatred of the Jews. You can go and see the Christian theologies that led to their persecution. And when you leave Yad Vashem, you walk out of the building and you're surrounded by trees. Those trees are there with plaques underneath them. And on those plaques are names. Those names are Gentiles who risked their lives under Nazi occupation to save the lives of Jews. And while we were there, we were faced with some staggering statistics. Six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust, and that's what—that's all they know about. When you think about the number six million, it's a statistic to you. You don't realize how big of a number that is until you start looking at the names. When you go into the memorial and you see books, thousands of books with names on a shelf there, names that they know of people who have died in the Holocaust. When you walk out, you see the trees and you ask yourself one question. Why are there so few trees planted there? Why are there so few trees of people who are willing to risk their lives to save those being led to slaughter? Why is there not a forest planted there? Because Gentiles were looking at the word and said, these are the people of God. We will not let them be led away to slaughter. You know why that's possible? Because the church has been operating under an idea that we're supposed to sit in our churches and grow and expand our own kingdoms. Our churches have not been operating in this idea that we were born again so that we can go and get them. You see, this this idea has been like a cancer in the church. We are supposed to go and rescue those led away to slaughter. Remember what verse 12 says. But if we say we knew nothing about this, that's what they say all the time. What did Jesus say to the goats? Man... You did not feed me. But when did we see you, Lord? Whatever you did not do for these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. We can't say that we didn't know anything about this. We will be held accountable even if we say we don't know. You want to hear what our game plan is to fix this? Turn with me to Psalm 18, verse 37.
2: Go
0: get them.
1: There we go. A bold woman in the house. Where are the men of LCM? Where are the men of LCM? Come on, do you want to rescue those being led led away to slaughter? Yes! Do you want to rescue those who are sitting in their sin, drowning like Lot? Yes. Yes! To prevent ourselves from having a lazy lot attitude, we need to have our minds renewed in Psalm 18. Verse 37 says, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. Oh man, how good does victory feel, church? How good does victory feel? Man, I'm just gonna take, I'm gonna take it as a fact that the reason why I didn't hear all of you shout good is because you don't know what victory feels like. Man, when you have victory that is permanent and final victory, destruction over the enemies of God in your life, in your heart, in your home, that feels good. It feels good to put down the enemy under your feet so he won't rise again. How good does victory feel? What in your life? Do you need to pursue and crush completely? Mm. What in your life do you need to put under feet and you need to obliterate so that it won't rise again? Right. Verse 39 says, You armed me with strength for battle, you made my adversaries bow at my feet. Come on, if God is among you, who can be against you? Amen. If God is arming you with strength, then what do you lack? Nine. Nothing. Why can we sit there and say, well, I need God to do something before I go. How about you go so that he gives you the tools to fight with. God is the one arming you with strength. Verse 40 says, you made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. Verse 42 is the key. Yeah, I beat them as fine as dust born on the wind. I poured them out like mud in the streets. Church, we have got to be resolved to enter the conflict to win. Yes. yes. To win the fight. Nobody goes into the arena so that they can go in and just play with the enemy. Nobody looks at their relatives being taken captive. Nobody looks at people loved by God and just goes, oh wow, that, that's nice. I hope God does something for them. We have to enter the conflict conflict with the grit of a warrior we have to go in with ready to have blood run down we have to go in ready to sweat ready to fight till the end ready to complete the battle not Amen. just start the battle yeah we have to be ready to go in and rout the enemies of god so that they will not rise again come on what do you want to do church do you want to go and get them
2: in second chronicles 11 In the 13th verse, turn there. There's a sad story that we're about to learn about. Amen. In the same place that we hear about these victories, that Abraham chased his enemies through, that he went to go get them, that he went to go get Lot, something happened. The priests and the Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with them. The Levites abandoned their pasture lands and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. We're going to pause here for just a minute. In the same place that there was once victory, in the same place that there was once revival, that there was once passion, it is possible for you to reject the priesthood of God in your own life. It is possible for us to take the things that God has done in the past and change them out for our own version of victory. See, when we realize how much we want victory, but how much it takes to get it, that you really have to go get them, that you can't just passively absorb it, we begin to look for alternatives. We begin to look for substitutes. I want to challenge you in this moment. You're hearing about Abraham's victory. You're hearing about our victory, to be honest. Are you substituting what in your own life a real victory with something else? Mm. In this moment, have you found another priesthood? Have you found some other source of achievement? Have you found it in your workplace? Have you found it in your home through entertainment or some other means? Are you finding your value in the kingdom by obeying the Lord's will and going to go get them? Are you veering off towards Jeroboam's way of life? We're getting to that place in the message where we want to win. We want every man and woman in this room to succeed. But for that to happen, we can't allow any substitutes. We can't choose to settle on Jeroboam. And there are many of you in the room that are hearing things that you believe to be true. That occasionally you're saying amen to and I'm watching in your eyes. It's not actually burning. You're sitting around saints that are on fire in this room. That want to go get them. That are going to go get them. That are raising up sons and daughters who will do the same. But it's not enough for you to be around them. It's not enough for you to be near the house of God. It's not enough for you to have your own version of the priesthood. It's time that we go get the real victory saints. It's time that we go get them. See these priests of God in this passage. They couldn't bear the idolatry. They could not bear the mediocrity of masses. They couldn't sit around in the megachurch mentality. They couldn't sit with a substitute victory. They had to go up. They had to go up to Jerusalem. They had to go up to the house of God. They had to go get them. They had to go where it was righteous. I'm hoping that something is stirring inside of your soul right now that says I'm not settling for less. I'm not doing it. Do you want to go get them? Yes. Do you want to see real victory in this house? Yes. We're going to have to have the determination to do it for more than two weeks. We're going to have to do it. Like Abraham did to the day that we die and watching our sons and daughters do the same. See men's lives set free as a church, as a body. We cannot let the fringes of our congregation slide into the house of Jeroboam or hang out in the house of Sodom. In this house right now, we got to let something raise up inside of us that is fiery. That says, I've got some indignation. I've got some defiance. I do not want to see a half hearted measure. I want to see the victory of my king when we go to get them.
0: Amen. When you're thinking about this story and what Judah is sharing with you, understand that Abraham left to go get Lot because Abraham did not have the stain of Sodom on him. See, he wasn't sitting wondering whether he was worthy. He wasn't contemplating what he did yesterday. The man was living with a promise, a powerful overcoming promise. So when he saw somebody trapped in sin, he went to go liberate them. Am I talking to you yet? When we're looking at what he's describing, the sin of Jeroboam, when we're talking about a priesthood in Samaria... See, they didn't go rescue anybody because they had the sin of Samaria on them. It's an interesting thing in Genesis 14. It said that Abraham left where he was and he went as far north as Dan. Do you know that Dan didn't exist in Abraham's day? Dan wasn't there at all. The city was Leish. It was later taken by Dan. In fact... This is proof that when Moses is writing it, it's known as Dan in his day, but in Abraham's day, it wasn't. It's very interesting how all of this took place. See, the Danites did not like the inheritance that God gave them. In the same way that Lot chose an inheritance for himself. They thought it was too difficult. It was too hard. They wanted anything other than what God gave them. So they went to go attack an unsuspecting people. And along the way, in Judges 17 and 18, they made a Levite. And the Levite had gone to work for a guy named Micah for ten shekels and a couple shirts every year. The Levite had left his station for a paycheck. The Levite had agreed to participate in mild idolatry so that he could benefit Micah's house. And then he made an amazing adjustment. When he met these Danites that were headed north, they said, wouldn't it be better for you to serve more people and make more money than it would be to serve just that one man's household? Oh, the Levite was sold on it. Oh, of course. How could it not be good to have more money, more influence, and more people? So he helped the Danites. (laughs) And they went up and they settled in the very city that Abraham had attacked the gates to rescue Lot of. In other words, there were priests, and there were people who were supposed to be the chosen of God, occupying the very place that Abraham had gone to liberate, because of sin's dominion. Except these people who were occupying it, were reveling in their sin. That's pretty sad, isn't it? The compromise of Lot... The seeking a different inheritance like Jeroboam. All of this was crying out for something. It's much like our day today. The Danites were a little bit, well, like the church world. See, their strong walls and the number of houses and the places they seated people made up for the fact that they didn't have real called of God Levites. Yeah. That they didn't have the actual inheritance that God gave them. That they had settled for a whole different plane of existence and they were happy with it. And this was all crying out for something. Isn't there a true son of Abraham left? Come on. Isn't there? Isn't there somebody who will go get him? Isn't there somebody who will go and fight? Isn't there somebody who will challenge the status quo? You know, there's another place that we haven't talked to you about. I'd like to show it to you for a minute. This is Caesarea Philippi. And that giant cave in the center of your screen was a place where they sacrificed babies to the god Pan. They walked to the front of the cave and they tossed their babies Into the cave. If you could see blood in the waters in the streams down below, then your baby was not accepted. More sacrifices required. If you couldn't see blood in the water, then the baby had been accepted. Immediately on the platform to the right of it was a temple to the Son of God, Augustus Caesar. They bought and sold the forgiveness of sins in that temple. In a place where children were sacrificed, not rescued. In a place where forgiveness was bought and sold like a commodity. Where people were attracted because of the beauty of the buildings. Not the quality of the character of the men in the buildings. This is where Jesus marched His disciples. They walked right up to these foothills of Hermon and Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus said... Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build, I'm sorry, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, if you look at the statement of Jesus and what we've been saying about Abraham, you begin to see a similarity. But it's when you see something on a map that it ought to really come home. Let me show you on a map. The gates of Dan are about 2,000 to 4,000 feet from Caesarea Philippa. They actually had to walk right through the gates of Dan to get to Caesarea Philippi. In other words, it's very much as if King Jesus was walking the disciples right in the footsteps of Abraham and He's saying, Abraham, faced the gates of His day. And He faced it and He rescued the lost. Now I'm going to march you right up to the gates of hell and I'm going to teach you to rescue the lost. Amen. Among the very last things that Jesus ever said to His apostles, was going to all of the nations. See, He was teaching us to go get them. The gates of hell in the days of Lot looked like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, if your kid is hanging out with She-member and the king of Sodom, you better go get him. In the days of Jesus, it looked like an exalted emperor that claimed to be God. It looked like people that saw their children as expendable. It looked like people who only attended a service to buy their own forgiveness. And Jesus' response as a true son of Abraham was exactly like Abraham's. A three-day A three night journey. I will go all the way after the enemy. I will kick down his gates. And I will pursue him to the ends of the earth. And I will bring back those who were captive. See, that is what is at stake. It's the very faith of Abraham. The kingdom that Peter is a rock in. Abraham was a rock before him. And Jesus is the rock that it's all built on. Amen. What is it that you want? From your Christian walk? Do you just want to be blessed? Do you want a hired priesthood of Dan? Do you want the sensuality of Sodom? Do you want the mega church that will incorporate the church as a business constituting a whore? What is it that you want? You've got to want to go get them, Linton. You've got to want that. Some of you sitting in here, you don't know how to react, and I get it. It's like, hey, it's a message, what do you want us to do? Well, what do you want us to do, dance for you? See, if you have been gotten by God, then you ought to want to go get them. Amen. Is Jesus going to look at you and say, you're like a generation that the flute was played for, that the dirge was sang for, but you didn't respond? Are you going to start this week only to stop in the middle of the week like so many weeks before? Been saved 20 years and stopped more than you started. Could today be the time that you start and don't stop? Come on. Would Lot have ever been rescued if Abraham's commitment wavered? Consider Abraham took on five kings and an entire city with gates and he destroyed it rescuing lot and he moved further into the enemy's territory outside of the borders of what would become israel how far are you willing to go i'm persuaded that god has put the message on our hearts for you that we have to go get them and i'm not just talking about evangelism to the lost i'm talking about our wayward brothers I'm talking about your relatives. I'm talking about the hopeless, even in this room. We're trying to go get you because we know when you've been gotten, you'll go get them. And the truth is, I can tell how weak a conversion is by how little concern you show for the conversion of others. I can tell. When you've been gotten by the Lord, you have a burning passion to go get them. Not in some sales presentation. You want to liberate people from the power of hell and you're willing to shake things up to do it. You're willing to upset them to do it. You're willing to tear down the gates and carry them to a new hill and put them in view of the resurrection of Father Abraham.
1: Church, the story of Dan is both an amazing story and a tragic one all at the same time. Much like our lives are sometimes. See, the city of Dan started out in an amazing testimony. The father of the faithful charting the course for his children, going and taking the gates, pursuing them, and taking it even further than just Dan, pursuing them even further to make sure they don't come back. That city, because of a Levite who wanted to work for ten shekels in a shirt, became a city of idolatry, a city of rooting out, a city, a city where a people lived peacefully and the Israelites came and took it from them. The Danites came and took it from them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a part of the people of God and killing people who are living in peace? But that's what, this, that's what the tribe of Dan did. And then the city becomes, for, for hundreds of years, a city where a golden calf was erected by Rehoboam and worshipped there. People were leaving Jerusalem to go to this place and worship a golden calf. Now think about that. That, that is is—that's something that's mind-blowing when you consider the proximity of that place with Caesarea Philippi. Can you imagine the disciples walking by that place and thinking, Lord, it's been hundreds of years. It's been hundreds of years since Abraham taught us to kick down gates. When is somebody going to come and teach us to kick down gates? yeah?" And they're standing in the place where Jesus, the the Son of Man, the Son of God, teaches His disciples, this is the rock you will stand on, and you will go and kick down gates. You see, just like a son of Abraham, Jesus was teaching His disciples to be like their father. In Luke 16, verse 16, it says that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. You see, Jesus brought them to a place that was riddled with idolatry. Riddled with abortion. Riddled with the horrors of imperial Rome and the, and the false god worship of all of the, the nations before that. He brought them to that place because he wanted to forge into their souls forcefulness. 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 You see, it's kind of incredible. Sometimes you think to yourself, man, what what does Pastor Wade have that I don't? What does Pastor Matt have that I don't? What does Elder Charlie and Pastor Eric, or Elder Eric, have that I don't? What makes them different than myself? the answer is nothing. Nothing makes them different. You see, we oftentimes want to want to think to ourselves, if I just felt like I was 100% full of the Holy Ghost, if I just felt like I heard from God, if I just felt like God put it in the sky in a way that I could never miss it, and I can go and tell everybody else, if I can just have the affirmation of men, then I'll go and do what God tells me to do. You want to know what I admire more than anything else? And I believe God admires it, and I believe all of the men of God, the cloud of witness admires it. When you have such a forceful attitude... Despite your circumstances, when you are sitting there and you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the strength. I don't have the track record. I don't have the perfection that was promised to me by the gospel. I don't feel like I have the righteousness that is credited to me. But you know what I have? I have a promise that God spoke to me and I'm going to force my way into it. Come on! You see, the kingdom of God is taken by men and women who are forceful. Not yes. men and women who are perfect, although He calls you to be perfect and He will make you perfect. He... Builds His kingdom... With forceful men. It takes grit church. It takes tenacity. It takes looking at your situation and saying I may not have it, but he does and because he does, I will go and fight. I don't care if I will lose. I don't care if I will win. I don't care if I have to die. I will go trying because I want to force my way into the kingdom. It's going to take that kind of olive tree tenacity Tenacity. to enter into the kingdom church. Don't wait for anything else. Don't wait for the affirmation of your peers. Although you need to be in unity. Don't wait for the perfection of your soul. Although you need to be perfecting yourself, you need to be tenacious about your calling. You need to be tenacious about where God is bringing you. If you're sitting here today and you're and you're sitting in a lackadaisical attitude, you're sitting in a lethargic, apathetic idea, you need to rouse yourself to forcefulness today. You need to come down and you say, "Lord, I need to I need you to forge this iron into my soul because I want to go where you are. I want to go where my father Abraham was. I want to go where my brothers, the Jews, have gone. And I want to go where Jesus went.
0: If it's not now, when will it be? And how many years have you already wasted? If you don't do it now, if you can't go get them starting now, when will it ever happen? See, the time for excuses have passed. The Bible says to prepare your mind for action right now. Put John six twenty
2: six on the screen. Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, we've all experienced natural provision from the Father that helped you in a situation. And he says, that is why you are following me, looking for me. But he says, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Saints, we want to tell you today that that rock that was cut out, that that son of God, that that man who is the embodiment of the faith of Abraham, that he's looking for you to go get them. He's looking for you to go after it and not for things that spoil, that your father loves you enough to have things in store for you that are eternal. That when you go get it, it's not just for a temporary fix, that what you're going after is for eternity, that these things will be remembered, that you have such a good father that even as you do this, he says, I will give it to you. Not that your own strength is what caused you to succeed, not that your own ability is what caused you to succeed. You deciding that I'm going to go get them and I have that kind of forceful determination grants you success because of your faith and trust. Understand that if this were about you, we would have all failed a long time ago. What the king of kings is looking for is men and women in this room who realize where they are currently at. Know that they don't have what it takes. They know that 318 men cannot defeat four kings who are the baddest in the area. They know that they can't do it, but they believe that God has called them to. So something inside of them begins to rise up. Your father loves you. He has faith in you. And we have an obligation to respond to what he is speaking. Because if we don't, it will end up judgment against us. But in this moment, he's offering life to us, saying, I have eternal things for my sons and daughters. Right now, I want to give you things that are beautiful. I want to help you do it. All you have to do is rise up and go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Yeah. Then they asked him, what must we do? What must, how must we go get them? They're asking for a response of deeds. The work God requires, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We want to remind you in the midst of this, that belief is equal to faith and trust, but that if you're willing to put your life in your heart and your hands in him and do what he tells you to do when you walk out of this door, there is hope for you. There's hope for every one of you in this room, regardless of where you're at. If you've been in the faith for 20 years or you're contemplating it for the first two minutes in your life. Right now, there is hope if you are willing to respond with action. Amen. And the King of Kings
0: will meet you. You remember when we asked earlier, are there any sons in this house? Come on. Yes. Anybody being trained in this house? Yes. I would am. You, would you go with me to rescue Lot? Yes. Come on. Yes. Will you go with Pastor Wade to rescue Lot? Yes. Yeah. Will you go with Pastor Matthew to rescue Lot? Yes. Would you go without us? Yes. Because you have that opportunity every day that we're not together. Amen. See, I want to show you quickly, because we're in a closing situation, what a life looks like that is founded on the right kind of rock of faith like Abraham. Rock of faith like Jesus. Rock of a faith like Simon Peter. Men and women who have heard from God. They've been gotten by God. So they're going to go get them for God. That slide is Matthew. In Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine. And believes them and quilts them. And puts them in neat little picture frames. Or bumper stickers on their car. Puts them into practices like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The very rock of Caesarea Philippi. The rock of Tel Dan. The rock that crushed the head of the enemy. See, that rock is a go get spirit. It has been gotten by God. And so it can be built into something for God. In Matthew 8.3, you see that those who are doing this are also curing those that have leprosy. In Matthew 8.10, they're setting the centurion's servant free. And by Matthew 8.11, they're at a feast with Father Abraham, who is the OG (laughs) go-getter. The kingdom is only made of one kind. The kingdom is made of those who go get them. This is why parables don't say things like, well, some will not bear 30, 60, and 100-fold, but they'll still make it into the kingdom. If you are alive, you are supposed Mm. to produce life. Amen. Amen. Though it be no such thing as a spiritually sterile Christian. Mm. There's just Christians that haven't learned to go get them. Mm. And it draws into question, have you really been gotten then? Look, we're going to go through just a couple more scriptures with you. And we're pleading with you because we love you. In fact... I leave to go out of town again on Wednesday, and I'm not going to see you for months. And there is something that I want with all of my heart for each of you. That as you are active in sharing your faith, you will come into a fuller knowledge of who Jesus is. Do you know another thing that Abraham and Jesus had in common? Abraham went as far as Tel Dan and he rescued Lot. Jesus goes up past Tel Dan to Caesarea Philippi and he sets the rock of the kingdom that rescues lives today. When Abraham came back from the same spot, he ran into the king of righteousness. And when the disciples came down from Caesarea Philippi towards the very same Jerusalem, they saw Jesus revealed. Is the king of righteousness. When you go get him. Something happens to you. It gets hold of you. A revelation of God grows inside of you. A revelation of the power that is yours as a son of God grows inside of you. I want you to have that. This is the most amazing church that I've ever known. And there are still quite a few in here that have never gone and gotten anybody. You've barely been gotten yourself. You need to know the joy of the feast of Father Abraham. Yeah. Of what it is like to see someone truly liberated, not so you can put it on YouTube, but so that heaven will record your faithful deeds. Amen. See, I know exactly what that's like. And it is worth living for. In fact, it's taking hold of life that is really life. We're going to walk you through some overcoming scriptures as we work towards
1: our closing. To those who have been gotten by God, who have had a Caesarea Philippi experience, Romans 3, 3, 2, Revelation 3.12 is for you. It says, to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. You see, being an overcomer makes you capable of being built into the household of Abraham, the household of Messiah and the city that those men will inhabit. My charge to you from the scripture is, will you be worthy of living together with those men for eternity? Come on. What kind of life do we have to live? Go get them. them. Say it with
2: me again. One more time. What kind of life do we have to live? We have got to live like Father Abraham, who is a rock being built into the kingdom of God. And there is only one set of gates that will never be broken. Read Revelation 21, verse 12. Say there when you're there. Go get them. (laughs) Go get them. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the tribes of Israel. See, there's a memorial in heaven for the family of God, a memorial in heaven for the tribes that are a part of his original land plan. And it is coming out of heaven to the earth. Mm. We have the opportunity by living like Abraham in this moment to be a part of an eternal building of an eternal temple, of an eternal promise, of a gate that isn't going to fall, that isn't going to be broken. Gates represent the authority. They represent the defense, the strength of a city. There are not a set of gates on this planet that will not fall other than the ones God is bringing about. Everything that can be broken will be broken. But right now, as we learn to imitate him, he is building us into the literal house of God. And your name, your children's names... Will be written on it when we live out faithful lives. Go get
0: them. In Revelation 17 14, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them. Come on. Because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And with him will be the called, the chosen. And the faithful followers. Yeah. Do you know why the called, the chosen, and the
1: faithful followers are with King Jesus? Because he went and got them. You see, Jesus could fight alone, but he chooses to fight with us. He chooses to have the called, chosen, and faithful with him. Second Timothy 2.22 is our charge on how to be with him. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, what if, we were, what if we were no longer enticed like Lot? Then we would be following with Jesus. What if we had our eyes on the prize? What if we had forceful eyes in this church? Yeah. Come on. We will forcefully pursue righteousness. And when we neglect sin and pursue righteousness... That qualifies us to be in that final battle with Jesus.
2: Come on now. 1 Timothy 6 verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Go get them. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. This phrase has been bastardized beyond belief. This is not a passive term that says it's been a hard day. This means go get them. When he says fight, he actually means fight. Yeah. He means inside of your struggle, you need to struggle. There's an agony that is going on. Yeah. Yeah. This is not oh brother. It's been hard. This is brother. It's hard because we are in a war, but I'm going to win. I'm going to go get lot. I'm going to see soul set free. I'm going to see what Christ has called me to being brought about. Paul is charging us through this scripture. That you must fight the good fight. This means go get them. This means agonize. This means war, and you're going to succeed as you trust in your father. Amen. Do you trust him? Yes. Go get him. Amen.
0: We've come to that place. Now we're in 22 minutes in. Three men preaching their hearts out, telling you to go get them. And there's an agonizing truth. If you're stained with Sodom, If the sin of Samaria is smeared all over you. If you haven't been rescued yourself, it's very hard to go rescue. You know, it's easy to practice data denial. You look around and say, hey, I've been rescued, I've been gotten by God. But if you're not going to get them, the data kind of denies that truth. If you're of the faith of Abraham, you ought to act like Abraham. Yep. If you're of the body of Messiah, then you ought to be doing the things Messiah did. If you're in the spiritual house, stacked like stones upon the rock, then you ought to be doing the activities of the house. The truth is, is there's a lot of lot. And many of you. You're not rescuing because you still need to be rescued. You've learned to measure victory between defeats. You have Samaritan sympathies. The way the world does it's not all that bad. Samaritan sympathies. You have Dan's divergence from his inheritance. I know the Lord said this, but he'll probably settle for me doing this. I want to read to you Romans 5, eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Abraham didn't wait for Lot to reform his life to rescue him. He rescued him in the hopes that he would reform his life. Christ didn't wait for you to get right before he overcame the gates of hell to rescue you out of it. What are we waiting on? How long can we afford to wait? Would your life be described as a rock like Abraham? Do you destroy the enemy's gates like Samson? Would Jesus Christ look at you and say, You're a rock like Simon Peter. This is what's at stake. Because you're bought by the same blood. You're empowered by the same spirit. You're reading the very same Torah, Navim, In You know what you have that they didn't have? Everybody that's around you. Every anointed worship service. Every amazing time that you get prophecies. These are things that the early church was just starting. You've been swimming in it for years and years. I'm not saying these things to make you feel bad. The actual thing that I'm trying to do is shove you in the direction of action because I know if you get a taste of seeing, somebody like Corey here just fall in love with Jesus. Somebody like Patrick gets so set free that he's on fire. You get to see a life like Daniel's come on fire for the Lord so that when his wife looks at him, she's just full of admiration. You get to see a John Dang go from a drunkard to an elder. When you get to see that, when you watch somebody shake off the chains of hell, and you know your name is being written on the gates of heaven because the gates of hell are beneath your feet, when you feel that, you'll get addicted to it. You won't have to listen to Sarah McLaughlin late at night and give dollars to save puppies to make yourself feel better. You won't have to go hug trees or stop diesels or give up trans fat acids or something to make yourself feel better. Drive some Prius. You will be liberating people from the clutches of hell. And that makes life worth living. See, that's what we're after this morning. We're after not you just following us to the gates of Dan. Not being 318 trained men. We're asking you to be men who raise up and train other men. We're a congregation and I'm so thankful for it. And you're led by amazing pastors. But our goal is not to raise children. It's to raise peers. It's to see you outshine us. Well, the, the people in this room represent a certain amount of us going after the gates of hell. What in your life represents the same? I'm not asking you to go start a church. If you do, we'll help you. But that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm saying one life, one family, one nation of time. Will you go rescue? Will you go take it to the enemy? Will you go get them? We're going to pray. And the truth is, is, something has kept you from going to get them in the past. You know that. You gotta come to grips with what has to die here. You gotta wipe off the stain of Samaria, you gotta get rid of the sin of Sodom. You gotta get rid of the goods of Gomorrah, you gotta put it behind you. Something steals your confidence so that you watch Lot perish because you're dying on the inside, too. I have died. To sin. That I might live to Christ. That's not, that's not conjecture. That's not just a bumper sticker platitude for me. You don't believe me? Follow me around. When you are done with sin. You get in the life rescuing business. And my God is it a good business. We're going to stand to our feet. You can do that now. As I begin to pray. For some of you, the distance is not to tell Dan. Some, it's the distance to this altar. And you'll have to fight through your own pride. You have to fight through your own sinful chains. Just to get there. Worried about what people think. Worried about what will happen. Can I tell you? God could care less about your feelings. Some of you will come to the altar, and that's always an exciting thing. The problem is, is you've come so many times and you've walked out without a single thing changing that you've mocked the experience with your whole life. Could this time be different? Could be this be the moment that not only do you kneel before the Lord, but you lay the sin of Sodom and the goods of Gomorrah at His feet? And when you stand up, With that as a burnt offering, and you walk out, you go to get them. There are people dying right now in this room, and my heart hurts for them. The worst part is some believe they're saved, and I can see that you're not. We're trying to go get you, we're trying to chip away your defenses, eviscerate your excuses. When we pray, do what you need to do. Do it with all of your heart. Every tree is known by its fruit. And something has got to bear fruit if it's going to belong to the household of Abraham. I want that for you. I want you to know the joy of it. Jesus wants it for you. As we pray, act quickly. Father, we are asking now in the name of Jesus that your good spirit would lead these people on level ground. Mighty God, that you would rush into this room. Lord, that it wouldn't be a vain religious exercise, but in this room, at this time, right now, you would slay the sin of Sodom. Mighty God, that you would destroy the goods of Gomorrah. That in this room, we could die to sin and live to go get them. Empower us, Lord. A new Pentecost. A new time. Raise up Your church.